Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Sowing Hope. I am Bill Snyder and it's wonderful to be with you. I am so excited for tonight's episode because I also have an announcement to make that we're going to be changing the format of the Sowing Hope podcast just a little bit. We're going to be finally using video, uh, not just a splash screen for those of you who are watching on YouTube. You're actually going to be able to see faces uh, going forward. And that begins tonight uh, on tonight's episode of the Sewing Hope podcast. And this is a special episode as well because Ann and I actually had the opportunity, as we mentioned probably a month ago or so, to go to the Catholic Marketing Network in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Uh, and we were able to get together in person uh, and meet a ton of amazing people during this conference and trade show. While we were there, we were able to film some interviews with some people that we met at the trade show. And so Anne did the interviews, and we have a video for you. You're going to be able to watch tonight's episode with five different guests. And I'm going to let Anne take it from here and put on this episode of Sewing Hope for you all. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always, to Patchwork Heart Radio. We hope you enjoy this new video version of the Sewing Hope podcast. Hello, welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is Ann DeSantis here. Now my co-host isn't with me right now for this show, but we are on location together at the Catholic Marketing Network Conference. And I have an amazing guest for you today on Hi. Sewing Hope. I have Ashley Zahorian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here. It's great to talk with you guys. Yeah, you too. Now Ashley is the CEO of CMAX TV. We're gonna learn a lot more about that. Well, why don't we start out with you? Just tell us about yourself and how did you get involved in the business? Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in Hampton Roads in Virginia, um, and I was always an avid media user. I, I actually was homeschooled growing up, but I always had TV, radio on in the background while working. So honestly, I probably had more media exposure than most <laughs> kids in public school, um, but grew up in a very devout Catholic household. Mm. It was always about love because we go to Mass because Jesus loves us and because we love Jesus. There was always that focus. So I got very involved from an early age in, in music um, and in the choir and we had a, a band and youth group and all of those wonderful things um, and going to Steubenville and really meeting Jesus there and the youth conferences. So I always knew that media was important and powerful. I also knew that God was even more important and more <laughs> powerful. Um, so it was a very natural progression. Um, I did major in media studies um, and classical guitar and renaissance lute in undergrad. Awesome. And I went straight into youth ministry after that as a, a full-time youth minister. Um, so I saw the influence media had on youth. Um, after a year and a half or so, I started studying for my master's in fine arts from Regent University in directing while I was a youth minister. Um, and then slowly media took more and more of my, my time and focus as I started producing the things that were tools for people like youth ministers. So I retired from youth ministry and went into to media full time. Oh, yeah. what a journey. That's amazing. Now, I also homeschooled my daughters as well. So, yeah. And we homeschool our four. Oh, incredible, <laughs> awesome. 
So now what happened then in between time, you you know, finished high school, college, and then what happened next for you after that? Um, it was right into youth ministry. Okay. Yeah, so I was always active in ministry, my pretty much my whole life. Um, the first retreat I went on as a kid, I was 13. Uh, and the, the conference, uh, the retreat organizer actually thought I was a freshman in college and assigned me to be a small group leader. Okay. So the first retreat I ever went on, I was handed my packet to lead a small group. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay, I've been given this to do it. Um, so I, I, I kind of have one of those, those merry journeys. You know, I was very blessed to have that growing up. And I certainly had, um, I'd say kind of the dark time, if you will, was a lot of influence of very secular media um, and getting into music more so for me than video that influenced my, my heart and my soul in a way that I didn't really understand at the time. I just love hearing your journey. I'm, you're going to have to come on some of our other shows because I also host a show called Journeys in Faith, so you have to join us. Uh, now tell us about CMAX. I really sure. love what you're doing there. Sure. So CMAX is a Christ-friendly on-demand streaming platform for both entertainment and information. Mm. We started it really because there's a lot of people doing great work, right? Both content producers who don't have good outlets. You know, a lot of the ones that are um, Christian outlets are very segmented. They're very, very on their specific mission, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But if there are things that are more in the entertainment sphere, they don't really have a home. There's also not really a home for what we call um, Orthodox Charismatic right, um, okay. in a lot of places. So, and we are, I mean, we're very open to a lot of different things. Our, our rules are it must be not contradictory to the Bible or the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But we are a home for ecumenical content. Most of us on the team are, you know, if we were to self-identify, we are Orthodox Charismatic Catholics mm -hmm. who go to Latin Mass sometimes or all the time for some of us but are also you know, listening to Matt Marr and we're in Eucharistic adoration and praise and worship and very open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we are a home for a wide variety of things and a place for content producers to be valued. We are big believers in um, putting our money where our mouth is with Catholic social teaching. Content producers are valuable people and their work should not be expected for free, which is something that's uh, very different for us. Unless somebody insists that we don't pay them. We want to pay them whatever that share is we can of what the company is bringing in. And we also want to use our, instead of using marketing dollars to pay for ads, we do a tithe back program to our partners. So, oh so those are awesome. our kind of our three pillars. We want to give people a place where they can watch both entertainment when you want to watch a reality <laughs> TV show before bed that doesn't destroy your faith and formation when you want meat and potatoes. If I want to go deeper in how does theology of the body work? How do, how do I help somebody who is struggling with understanding same-sex attraction? Some of those deeper topics that just have to be formational content. Plus, the I just want to relax and watch something and unwind and helping our content producers and the affiliate partners who are telling people about CMAX. Awesome. Really. I, so. And I have to thank you too because you interviewed me for huh. my work, which mm -hmm. I'm the director for the St. Raymond Anonis Foundation Great. and an author of a book. And so I was interviewed by you, yeah, your your team yesterday. So thank Great. you. And also my co-host yes. for the podcast, Bill Snyder. You also interviewed him too, so thank you yeah. uh, for doing that for us. And isn't it great to be here at yes. CMN? It's such a wonderful collaborative atmosphere. It really is. Yeah. So what about, tell us a little bit about your family life too. And sure. how do you balance everything? That's amazing. <laughs> well, you, you got good lessons from your own upbringing, for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, so my parents always tell me I do too much. That's okay. what I say that <laughs> my upbringing. Um, so um, I have four kids. I've been married for 11 years and we have four awesome. children. Um, so they are 10, seven, five and three. Mm -hmm. um, we homeschool, but we use a hybrid schooling. Mm -hmm. So okay. two days a week, the older kids take classes at a, uh, a Christian community school. Good. Um, so we're not 100% doing it ourselves. To-do lists and Google help our life function. <laughs> we have multiple Google calendars and we have a team. That's really the thing. We're not alone. So my husband is a field agent with the Knights of Columbus. Um, and he really does most of his work in the afternoons and evenings. And I'm in the office in the mornings. Um, and we switch who does what with the kids. And then we, we really guard our weekends for family time awesome. and prayer time. Well, you know, God helps you to balance it all. That's what it comes down to. Can you tell us a little bit about the kids too? Um, sure. Love to hear. <laughs> so, so Claire, um, we say she has spent more hours on camera than most adults because we've been running um, the mass box with her and her siblings, but especially Claire, um, since she was four. So, and that's a, a program for kids to get engaged in the mass. 90% mm, okay. of learning is kinesthetic, right? So we saw with Claire that she was really struggling um, to connect at mass when she was young. So, and she really connected with crafts and artsy things like horseback riding is her love. Oh, my and, daughter was the same. <laughs> yep, horses and art. You know, she's always absconding away with a glue gun or, you know, she was, mm -hmm. she was working on making a, um, a lounge chair out of some scrap wood in the backyard the other oh. day. So her crafting has progressed. Creative. She is, she's very creative. So she has, um, she really loves working on that. So um, doing both her own projects and then together as a family, we make the mass box, which goes out to families to have crafts and activities to do. And then they're on camera for doing those crafts and activities. So we're very um, all over the place with our family, with all working together to do these things. Awesome. Um, and then Dominic loves, his goal in life, he is seven. He wants to be a blacksmithing guitar playing astronaut. Mm. So he has been learning those trades. Uh, not really the trade of being an astronaut, but he builds a lot of spacecrafts out of Legos and reads science. Our five-year-old Joseph, um, he loves to cook. He is very possessive of the coffee pot. He brings me coffee in bed every morning. They're gonna He's, love this interview, I think. Yeah, yeah he, um, he won't let anybody touch the coffee pot. He sets the delay mm. the night before and he brings, he knows how we like our coffee and he knows if you want mommy out of bed, you bring her coffee. Mm -hmm. So so he's great. And then uh, Catherine is three and she loves to dance and sing mm. and um, she loves her Daniel Tiger. Well, you're an amazing mother, amazing wife, and you're balancing everything and, and the Lord is helping you to do that. So I just want to Thank you so much for joining us on the Sewing Hope Podcast. Would you come back again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. You too.
are on location at the Catholic Marketing Network Conference. It's so great to be here, and I have an amazing guest for you. I have Tom Esposito. He is the Chief Operating Officer at CMAX. Welcome, Tom. Thank you so Thank much for you. joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great to be introduced as an amazing uh, guest here, too. <laughs> I think that's the best I've heard today. Well, you are. Let's hear about your life and you know your family. Tell us anything that you want to share with us about your faith and how you got involved in what you do. Sure. Um, so, um, I'm a husband, uh, wife Kelly, I've got uh, four children. And um, so as far as my faith and my faith dream, like my background, I kind of I kind of started off with the idea that I was going to be moving into business and whatnot, but little by little I kind of see I was not really strong in my faith when I was younger, even though I was raised, raised Catholic and, and still did the basics for it. Um, but really God got a hold of me mostly when I was about 28 years old. I'd been doing uh, mostly work with juvenile delinquents and working with at-risk youth and um, started an organization uh, to work with at-risk youth. It like expanded incredibly quickly, more quickly than I could handle it, and I ended up at age 28 with a, uh, an ulcer. Oh. And so um, and, the, and the quality of what we were doing went down, went down dramatically just because, again, it expanded so fast and it wasn't faith-based. Um, I wasn't strong in my faith, but it ended up of all things that come through that, um, that uh, came across a doctor that was helping me with the ulcer and whatnot, and he said, you really need to take the weight of the world off your shoulders. And around the same time, several different things took place, and um, I got to, I, I'm one of the few people that really got to get discipled by somebody. Somebody took me under his wing, uh, and uh, he was a Catholic apologist, and for like a seven-year period, he took me under his wing, and we would, you know, we did pilgrimages together, um, talked about the faith, and that same year, I was asked, to, asked if I would consider doing youth ministry at our parish, which was a shock to me, but the pastor knew that I worked with at-risk youth, and he said, would you consider this? And my response was, I don't know what I would say to a good kid. <laughs> That's not the type I work with. But that started, that really started a journey because um, I, I think it, I wanted to be authentic in my role in youth ministry. And so I had to learn the Catholic faith, which I'd, I'd been raised with and, you know, good parents and everything like that. But there was just so much of, I think, living it uh, and the depths of it and devotions and whatnot that, um, that I, I, I had not practiced, even though my grandmother, <laughs> mm. I saw them with her too. So it was kind of like a coming home, but that's, that's kind of how it started. And, and yeah, things just, since I've been 28, it's like every year has been better, you know, what God has done. Wow, what a journey. Thank you for sharing. And it looks like, especially when you had that time of not feeling well in the ulcer, that that is really when you could feel God working in your life and you knew that something was going to be changing. Certainly, I mean, it, it, it sometimes takes, I think, a lot of times something not so pleasant. I mm -hmm. mean, for some people it could be a lot worse thing. I mean, I'm great, God went easy on me, probably knew I couldn't handle much, you know, much more than that. But it, it was, it was kind of a confluence of a lot of things and just recognizing too and working with some difficult situations with families and, and kids. Um, and the thing that was amazing to me is like, you know, I went, when I started doing the youth minister, I was thinking, God, you know, I, I, have, I, have I bailed on like working at the front lines because I'm working now with good kids and whatnot? I said, maybe you should send me some kids who have trouble. And, and I, well, I think, and then he ended up making the kids I already had, had in the youth ministry get in trouble, but it ended up being a much more place that I was able to do. And you kind of see that everybody has challenges. 
you know, families that we see as good families, and they are good families, everybody's got something going on underneath that's um, difficult. And so my background in counseling and whatnot was, came in really handy in, within youth ministry, and I think even more so today because of the complexity of what young people are going through. Yes, well thank you for the great work that you're doing oh. because all I think all age brackets need to be known the love of God and evangelization, but the, that younger group, it's so Absolutely. important. So just it thank is. you for that. They're dealing with a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Now tell us about your work with CMAX as the Chief Operating Officer. Yeah, so it was kind of neat because um, so one of the, as a youth minister, one of the people who was um, a youth at the time, she was in a, a parallel ministry, and we did a lot of collaborative with other parishes, was Ashley Zahorian. Um, so she was, a, she was a youth, youth, and I was a youth minister in the area and whatnot, and so I'd met her and her family through then, never knowing. I mean, if a bird whispered in my ear and said, this, this uh, sophomore in high school, she's going to be your boss one day. <laughs> um, but when she, um, she's been doing the film, film stuff for quite some time. You know, again, I have a business background. So, um, of all things, our executive producer, uh, Deacon Darrell Wentworth, was putting an addition on my house and was just having a conversation with him, um, saying, you know, well, where I've been working for a while, looks like that's, after 25 years, it looks like that's gonna be kind of winding down. And he said, would you come to a meeting? And Ashley had already, between Deacon Darrell and Ashley, they had already, um, started this idea, but they didn't have anybody with a, a straight kind of business background um, to be able to kind of put all the pieces together. So I came to this meeting thinking like, well, we'll see what, what's going with here. And they asked me, and one of the neat things is, you know, I, the chief operating officer, when people ask what they do, and it, it's pretty much everything that everybody else doesn't want to do, the chief operating officer gets to do that, especially in the startup. Um, but it's been, it's been beautiful because um, some of the productions and stuff we're working on, Getting to, I'm getting to do some of the youth ministry formation stuff through it, mm. and some of the plans that we have in place. So um, it's kind of, it's been neat, you know. Again, we'll see what God wants wants with it, but it has basically been able to use like all my areas of experience. I get to kind of put it into one place. So it's been kind of neat how that's played out. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the work of CMAX and what you're doing, and Ashley. I mean, we interviewed her as well right, right. for this program. And it's just, it's, it's coming at the right time, isn't it? With everything that we've all been through over in 2020 and, right. and just as we're moving right. on and we've learned how much the internet and shows good programming means so much to people and especially faith-based. So I, I, I just want to congratulate you and the team, the whole team. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a great, and I love, I mean, it's been almost good that things haven't taken off too quickly for us in the beginning because it really kind of, put our team a little bit through the crucible, like, you know, starting out and then it's not a great time to start a startup right before a pandemic and a lockdown. But um, the fact that how God uses through us and the fact that we're even here at this at this conference would not have expected that uh, in light of everything too and beautiful connections with people here. So it's so clear that God's doing something. It's neat, you know, you wanna be, I, I wanna, whatever God's doing, I'd like to be part of what's going on. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, kind of mind-blowing where God kind of surprised you. Two years ago, I would never expect to be in this opportunity to do something like this. Yeah, great work, honestly. Thank you. Now, I know you're involved in some other things. Love to hear. Sure. So I've been, um, I've been uh, helped found back in 2000, which was, you know, a couple of years after my, my reversion, uh, a Catholic missionary organization because we were, it was a bunch of youth ministers 
that we're recognizing for the youth that um, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, retreats are really good and some different things that we can do with that. But a lot of times mission, taking people like out of their, out of their you know, normal environment, whatnot, um, we found that that was a powerful thing for youth. So we, we formed Missioners of Christ and we started doing missions initially in Mexico, but our, our main, we've got a permanent place in, in Honduras now. Um, have been there since 2001. And uh, um, so we, we're, we're kind of neat because we're, our community in Honduras is half Honduran, half gringo. Gringo isn't like a bad word there, it's, you know, for us, us Americans. And uh, Carol Restain is our main missionary. He's been down there since 2001. Okay, wow. Um, and we, we do evangelization down there in the different places because the, um, there's very few priests down there. It's actually has been the worst in the world as far as one priest every 27,000 Catholics. Mm. So the opportunity as lay people in, in communities to be able to help out is really significant. And we, a lot of times we have the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal are down there too. We'll collaborate with them on a number of things that we do down there too. But then on the, on the U.S. side, we still do discipleship. We have a youth discipleship ministry. We got 27 high school youth in it right now. We just actually just last week got back from. We took 43 youth to a Steubenville Youth Conference because our parishes and our diocese were not allowed to bring them this time around. So we got to do that. So I, my, we did that. We got back at like almost midnight on Sunday night. I had Monday and then Tuesday we flew out to this. So my head's still a little bit spinning from that, but it's been a beautiful thing. Um, Again, getting to see youth today that um, they want something authentic, mm. they want something real, and and, um, and now again with the opportunities to create good formation material through CMAX with, with some great professionals for youth ministry. Um, we're looking at combining the, the, the discipleship program that we put the youth through and creating um, good content so that more beyond just the youth that I can access could have access to it. We're calling the, we're calling the, uh, the program uh, Transfigure and uh, mm. looking forward to see what God wants to do with that. Yeah, yes. And that's because that's CMAX's hashtag we're trying to start is hashtag Transfigure the Culture. Um, we want to be part of, of doing that. We think media is one of, the, one of the most effective tools that there's out there to be able to do that and to reach the people. Awesome. Now, is there anything coming up or call to action that you want to tell our audience about this year with CMAX or even with other things that you do? Well, I, th I think um, for CMAX, I mean, one of our biggest things, it is a subscription-based thing. And, and, you know, we have what we are right now. We have, um, we call it Christ-friendly entertainment, and we have uh, good formation materials. Ultimately, um, a lot of the stuff we have on there is licensed. We do have the people that would like to create um, we've got John Forte, we've got some, some really talented filmmaking people, Ashley of course too. We want to create some of that Christ-friendly entertainment um, and formation too, and so we basically do that through subscriptions. Now again, if there's, um, if there's people that want to particularly fund a project, like let's just say Transfigure, we're just about done, Ashley's just about completed the, the uh, project, uh, the uh, documentary on Father Cantula Mesa, she may have talked about that in, in her segment. Um, but yeah, we've got, a, we've, we've, we've got about two dozen different projects that we want. Any of them uh, would be beautiful to be uh, funded by somebody who says, yeah, that's something that I think would really help, help the culture right now. So again, my thing that I'm looking at right now is the transfigure. Um, and again, if somebody thinks that, that really looking at how we can help, not just, it's, it's kind of beyond just youth ministry, but in moving 
past just like just formation, but really challenging. How do you live out um, a Christian as a, you know as a high schooler as a youth? How do you live out a Catholic Christian lifestyle and actually thrive in it when you're now in? We're even beyond the you know a post a post Christian culture. We're moving into an anti Christian yes. culture, and how because God always wants to navigate us through whatever challenge it is. How do we help equip young people to, to be able to do that? Again, not just survive or just like stay in our little close groups, to be able to actually thrive in what our current world situation is. So that's what we want to be hard part of doing, building uh, and building communities of young people and families that are part of that. Mm. Well, I have to say, you're really doing beautiful work and thank you so much for being <laughs> oh, a guest on Sewing Hope Podcast. Would you come back again? Oh, absolutely. Just, I, love your, I love your group here. I, Got a chance to talk with Bill for a while too, so I'm I'm totally in. Today, many students go to college with numerous questions about their faith, yearning to know if the seed planted in them as a child is both true and practical. Using the miracle on the road to Emmaus as a model, young adult ministers conversed weekly for three months with college students about the most pressing questions they had about the Catholic faith. As they journeyed together virtually, something amazing happened. Doubts disappeared, fears faded, and Jesus revealed that he is still alive. Hearts Burning Within Us, the latest book from Patchwork Heart Ministry, is a result of that grace-infused conversation. It is the perfect back-to-school gift for recent high school graduates and current college students. Get your copy for them today at patchworkheart.com. Dot org, or by calling 424-704-3278. That's 424-704-3278. I have a wonderful guest with me today. I have Barry Smith. He is the president of the International Catholic Media Association. Thank you so much for joining us, Barry. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Now, you have quite a faith journey. You have a heart for the pro-life movement. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Sure, I, it really started uh, formally when uh, a former classmate, classmate of mine in high school that I ran into again after many years, he, uh, he was in Catholic radio and I heard him on the air one day. We reconnected and we started a nonprofit uh, called Pro-Life Champions. And we were both committed to pro-life and at that time, it was coming up on the 40th anniversary of the federal decision of Roe versus Wade. And we thought, well, we need to do something about that. And we created a documentary called 40. And it told the story, uh, obviously pro-life, but we had some people in there that used to be in the abortion industry and had a different look at life and how they came about. Well, during that film, I met a lady who was very pro-life and her name is Eileen Vogel, and she told me that she was strongly into the pro-life movement. I said, well, that's great, we, we can talk. And um, she said, well, I, you know, I was part of the March for Life. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And she said, well, I, I was one of the founders of the March for Life. And I said, wait a minute, what? And she said, yeah, I was one of the founders. And I said, well, we've got to capture that story. And she lives not too far from me, and there's a religious institution uh, called Marytown that we would yeah. see each other at a lot mm. and you know a month turned into a few months turned into a year turned into two years 
And finally, I, I ran into a friend of mine who was in radio, and I got introduced to a producer and a videographer who wanted to be part of this project. So we started telling the story of the founders of the March for Life. And it, very compelling um, how they got introduced to Nellie Gray. And in October of 1973, uh, Nellie wanted to get some constituents in Washington, D.C. And they were going to get a constitutional amendment to overturn Roe versus Wade. And Nellie's idea was, well, we're going to have a march. And every constituent that she invited to her house that day said, no, we can't do it. Mm. We can't do it in January. It's too cold. We don't have any money. We can't get the word out. It'll never work. No, no, no. As Eileen says, typical Beltway thinking. Well, Nellie had gone to the National Right to Life database, and she invited some pro-life leaders um, from around the area and around the country. And six of these people responded and came. And it, you know, it was Mary Ann Pierce, Peggy Jaycox, Eileen Vogel, Bill Devlin, Lou Gardner, and John Maughan. And they all came, and Nellie said, I want you to stay for dinner at my house on that Saturday night. So after all the constituents said, no, we're not going to do it, Nellie invited them for dinner, and she said, no, I want to hear what you have to say. They went around the table, and they all said, yes, 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 and yes. So unanimous, yes, we need to do this. We need to have a march, just one march. They were going to do it one time. And without any finances, without any social network, without any kind of formal communications other than a telephone and writing letters and asking for donations wow. and submitting some formal letters to bus companies, which John Maughan was a really good person at. He ran busing companies, so that was his niche in this. Um, Eileen Vogel went back to Pittsburgh and she manned the phones. Lou Gardner was connected to the Knights uh, of Columbus got them to volunteer for the first march to wow. security. Uh, Peggy Jaycox was a former police officer. She helped with some local security and, and working the, the grassroots. And Nellie handed all the legal in, in Washington. She was mm. an attorney. She took care of all the permits. And they said, okay, let's do it. Wow. And those seven people from October of 1973 and through one clever Rose campaign by Peggy Jaycox, collected $45,000, spent $22,000 on the first march. So they had $23,000 to the good in the bank. They pulled off the first march, and then they said, well, I guess we're going to do it again. And that's from that, from that inception of those seven people, we, unfortunately, yeah. we have now a global event. 17 countries, 38 states, mm. and still growing. Incredible. Yeah. Based on the, that commitment. And the commitment of those seven people, we're not, we're not going to take a dime. We're going to sacrifice our families, our commitments to being mothers or fathers. And they gave themselves tirelessly, day after day after day. Igno not ignoring, but putting their families second so they could come out as victorious to get this march to come off. And they were successful. What a story. I mean, thank you for sharing. I think this needs to be told, doesn't right. it? It really needs it to does. be told. It's an important story yeah, about it, the mission of pro-life. The, the well, like you said, pro-life. Mm -hmm. now, now that we started telling the story of the March for Life, some of these people said, well, you have to go meet this person. Or you have to go meet this person. They were my mentor. 
and there were several pro-life organizations in the country because it, prior to the uh, federal decision of Roe versus Wade, there were already seven states that had legal abortion, New York being all the way to full term in 1971. So all, and, John Mon and Lou Gardner and Bill Devlin all came out of Long Island. So, I mean, New York was a big pro-life state because they had the biggest adversity. And, yes. you know, you had Colorado, Oregon, Hawaii that were all, you know, legalized abortion. So we, the pro-life movement went, be, went prior to the march. And we started finding all these pro-life leaders. Um, Joe Scheider was a very good friend of mine. I used to go to his office frequently. And one day he said, I want you to have all my documents. We were just going to throw them out. Mm. I said, Joe, you can't. Th I mean, over a thousand cassette tapes and VHS tapes and handwritten notes and journals. And he said, if you want it, you can have it. So we put it into our archives and now we're going to convert it into digital format. You were telling me about that. Right. Tell us more. So the inception with Joe and then... Um, I met a wonderful woman who was with the Women Concerned for the Unborn Child, which was the second oldest pro-life organization in the country. And they were out of Pittsburgh. And um, Eileen Vogel came out of that group. Mm -hmm. And there was a w woman that helped co-found that. Mary Winter was the founder, but Randy Engel, who was um, mm -hmm. still a pro-life activist and author. Mm -hmm. And she worked with Charlie Rice who was out of Notre Dame in the mid-60s. And Randy had published several books and was a pro-life advocate. And I went to her house after I was introduced to her through, through Eileen. And Randy said, well, I've got five file cabinets of boxes of, of documents and notes. And she said, I want you to take it. Mm. I didn't know what to do with it all. I said, oh my. So now I've got Randy Engels and I've got all of Joe Scheidler's. And then I talked to Judy Brown, who started the American Life League, and she's got her stuff on file with the Sisters of Life out in New York. So now we have access to her material. And uh, Dr. Herbert Ratner out of Chicago, who's got all his files uh, in storage in Steubenville. So now we've amassed a library of pro-life material that goes way beyond the March for Life. So. I said, well, we need to get all this categorized and filed, and we're going to create the, the Pro-Life Museum. And we're, it's going to be a digital so format exciting. online, and we're going to, uh, we're going to, we'll index it and file it, and hit, uh, people through a membership will have um, access to all these important documents, and uh, hopefully we'll create access for universities so they can, you know, as, as it was stated um, in the early 1920s, you know, when you had the eugenicists and Margaret Sanger, mm -hmm. they got a lot of their word out just by accessing the same types of files. And they would write, you know, they would publish letters and they would publish articles. And they convinced millions of people that eugenics was the way to go. That, you know, forced sterilization, mm -hmm. population control, removal of the undesirables. And they gained a tremendous amount of access by accessing all these files. So, so now we can counteract it. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad that you're sharing this with our audience on the Sewing Hope podcast because, you know, a lot of people don't know about all this. And that's why what you're doing, this work, will be preserved 
Can you tell our audience, how can they help? Is there a way that other people can help your mission? Oh, sure. Uh, we have a website, first7steps.com. First 7 Steps, it's F-I-R-S-T-S-E-V-E-N-S-T-E-P-S.com. And that will give you an introduction to the film on, and uh, it'll link us to our other website. But it, you know, you can donate, you can learn about and see, in this, we have a couple trailers posted about Eileen and, and the story. And then as it, it builds into the museum itself. So it, you know, it, we build financing and uh, get a team together to art. We have thousands and thousands of items to convert from analog to digital form mm. and then to bring up into the museum. So our, our needs are ongoing. And, um, but anybody, if you want to be a part of it that way and learn more, uh, we would certainly welcome any feedback, any help. Yes, <laughs> uh, I want to any, make a shout any, out to our audience. Yeah, Please any do. financial Consider. contributions. Um, and there are certain levels that we, we can recognize producers on financial commitments and uh, and you know membership on the you know through the museum. So, it, yeah, work. there's a lot of opportunities. And before we end our interview, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Because obviously you're doing so much, and there's a need there. So, anything else that you'd like to end with? Well, I, did, I want people to know this the importance of the history. Yeah. Um, you know, we were at the March for Life. The 20, well, right before the pandemic. It, probably we were in the middle of the pandemic, but we didn't know it. So we were there in 2020, and we had cameras set up in the hallway of the Hyatt, you know, the Hyatt where the ground zero is. And, and God bless all these younger people that come and are mm -hmm. really committed to pro-life. You know, yes. they're passing on the torch. But we interviewed just all these kids walking in the hall. And can you tell me about Nellie Gray? And so many of them said, I, who's Nellie Gray? No, I don't. I, I don't know anything about Nellie Gray, and and not to criticize it, but you know, well, Nellie Gray is really responsible for all of this. Um, so I just want everybody to know the importance of the historical relevance here, of what these people sacrificed, and I mean really sacrificed. Like Eileen Vogel always says, we didn't take a dime for all our work. Mm. They didn't want any money, and they tirelessly, in endlessly gave they still Eileen is still committed to the pro-life movement she's 85 years old now mm. God Bill Devlin's 93 and, and they're still working in the pro-life movement mm. so well listen Barry thank you so much oh, for joining us on you. Sowing Hope I hope you can come back again thank to our you. podcast
This is Ann DeSantis. It's great to be here with you because I have another amazing guest and it's also a friend, a friend of the Sewing Hope podcast. I have Carlos Santos. It is me, and it's good to see you in yeah. person. Yeah. Because we've done our, our virtual meetings and, and now we're here. Yeah. So it's amazing to see, see everyone that we get a chance to meet here. So thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So not all of our audience knows you, even though you have been a guest before on Sewing okay. Hope, but tell us about you and how you got involved in ministry. Um, I was, my original goal was to be a professional musician full-time I do perform still but not full-time um, I am a theology teacher I'm actually going to be starting my 25th year of teaching teenagers next week so I get home from Chicago and it's back to the grind mm. I love it it's been a great experience um, it sort of fell in my lap in college actually because I was meeting people and somehow I kept meeting it was kind of a, a strange mix I kept meeting people of faith and then the musicians I kept meeting were a little older than me and they were all just out of rehab. Mm. So they were trying to get their lives together and, and a lot of them had found the Lord because of that. So it, it led to all these conversations and really what it led to was um, meeting non-Catholic Christians where I grew up Catholic, but you know it was more of a, just a family thing. I mean, I learned a lot from my parents, but then when we would have discussions, there were times I, I didn't fully explain things to people as well as I should. So I remember just started pursuing the studies of the faith and I really loved it. And I, it, was, it was a lot richer to me. So before I knew it, I was sitting in, uh, I was actually going to Cal State Long Beach, secular school of all things. And I'm sitting in the religious studies office because I'm gonna change my major. So then I did that, started teaching. And then about six years later, I did my master's degree in religious studies. And it was good because I got to understand the secular approach and then learning as you teach as well. And then a couple years ago, I did finish my certification on the theology of the body. Yes, and I know that's a, something that's very close to your heart yes. too. Tell, tell the, our audience, how did that become something that's so important to you as well? I honestly didn't even know about it until uh, Pope John Paul II passed away. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen things, I mean, I hadn't really studied it. And so after he passed and they were talking about his legacy, they were talking about, oh, this is a beautiful document. And so I was like, oh, because I was so focused on other parts of theology, I really didn't look into that. And then I, I moved to Arizona and I started working at this school where a colleague of mine had gone to the Institute in Philadelphia and she had purchased the, a real simple beginner's book from Christopher West for the department. I read it, I just thought this looks interesting. And right away, the first chapter, I was like, oh, this is really good. And as I got through the book, it just really hit me. So I, I was still new at the school, so I just thanked her. I said, well, I, I, you know, thank you for the book. I didn't really think anything of it. I mean, I didn't really know her that well, so we didn't really engage in a big conversation. And then next thing I knew, she says, I, would you be interested in going to the Institute? I go, sure. She's like, <laughs> when the school will pay for it. I'm like, okay. So I, I did go, and I wasn't sure at the time I was gonna see the whole thing through. But that first course just rocked me to the core. Mm. And um, I started sharing with my students and, and just really helping me see who I was as a person. And before I knew it, I, I kept going and I, I started receiving invitations to go to parishes and talk to the kids or sometimes the, the adults. And it just sort of happened. It took off that way. And then, it, then, of course, it eventually led to the 
uh, HCD ministry that I have with, with Angelica. So here we are. Yes, and I want to tell our audience as well that you you're in for a treat because there's going to be another interview with his my partner, partner uh, Angela Del Angelica Delana. So please keep an eye on that podcast coming up. Yes. Now tell us about HCD Talks. So HCD Talks started as a, you have a couple friends who one is the theologian. Mm -hmm. And because I would teach theology, the body material, I always found that the more evidence I had to really back church's teachings, it was more effective with anyone. So some of it was medical. So I would do a lot of homework on it, but I always like to clear things and make sure I'm, I have the right thing. I mean, I don't use Wikipedia, but you can't always rely on the internet or other sources. So I would call her because she's a nurse practitioner. Mm. And I'm like, okay, is this correct? Am I getting this right? And then, you know, whatever I had to know, I had to know. But then she was doing confirmation classes and then there were times she would ask me, well, how would you approach this? Or my favorite ones were, well, can you just give me your notes you teach the subject on your classes? <laughs> sure, here you go. <laughs> but then it was just, she was writing papers for her nurse practitioner master's degree, mm -hmm. which had, as a, for, for going to Azusa Pacific Christian College, she always had to have a theological element in her paper. So then she'd call me and say, well, here's what I have. Can you read this? And so we were helping each other and it just kind of evolved into a, why don't we just start a ministry and use the theology with the mm -hmm. medical and here we are. It's so beautiful. And I have to say that my co-host Bill Snyder and I are so blessed to know both you and Angelica and be here we're blessed as we to know are you both as well. taping this at the Catholic Marketing Network conference. Yes. And this has been an amazing experience. Yes, it has been. It's been amazing. I, I've been to other conferences, but everyone here is so invested in just ministry. Mm, like good some, word. You know, Investing. I love seeing people go to a conference because you never know what it can do for them. But you know, these people, like we're already kind of in it. And I'm kind of watching people. I'm inspired. I'm humbled. I'm like, I don't know if I'm working that hard. I, we really need to, you know, work harder. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, and of course the, the talks and, and some of the insights from the people who've been uh, invited to speak have been phenomenal. I've learned so much from from our colleagues and, and, and just, and it shows us what we have to do with our ministries. Amen, thank you for your mm -hmm. work. Now I'd love for you to tell our audience also about your new book. His new book is called I Am His Mother. Tell us about that. Well, this book was originally published, um, a small publisher in the Midwest, and last year unfortunately with COVID and all, they were really having some rough times financially. Mm. So they gave the authors Look, we can't do any promo. We don't have a budget for it. So if you'd like to maybe walk, we'll give you, we'll, we'll let you out of the contract. And I talked to Angelica about it because she's very media savvy. And I said, you know, why don't we just do it ourselves? So we ended up just taking it off and, and with my publisher and then we, you know, revisited all the texts and then we put it out ourselves last year. But as far as the book, um, I love films. And I love, I'll always kind of visualize scenes from, some Marian scenes from certain movies. And it stuck with me. And all of a sudden I just had this idea, well, what if, say, she wrote a memoir or some kind of a diary of her time with Christ? Like, what was it like? What would it have been like for her? And I found it to be challenging because I'm not a mother. I mean, I love my kids very much, but I respect the bond that, you know, I didn't carry them. I didn't, you know, give birth to them. And I, you know, watching when my kids were little, my wife, hearing the cry, understanding that's water, not milk, or they want this, or maybe their ear hurts. And I'm like, 
And she's like, look, you, you have a child and you're a mother. These instincts just kick in. And I remember my mother saying that when I was growing up yes. as well. So I just thought it was amazing. So I just started writing. And, and then I remember just looking at it saying, this is actually, I think I'm going to try to get this out there. So the book is really in five parts. So the mm -hmm. first part is John finding this document, which he didn't know about because Mary's already been assumed to heaven. Then the first big, ch second part is the first big chunk where it's essentially the annunciation to them finding him in the temple. But I added a few, because you know when you're raising kids, like you'll sit there and think about their first steps, their first word. So imagine you have Joseph as your husband, Jesus, what would Joseph maybe be trying to get him to say? I'm not going to give it all away. And what would Jesus actually say as his first word? And then the middle, to break it up, I, I was always, I, I saw a movie once where it was about the early church. And it was right before the Council of Jerusalem. And Peter's a little nervous. So he goes to see Mary. And she's like, do you know what Jesus really thought of you? How much he loved you? How much he believed in you? So I thought, okay, I'm going to choose three figures who had an encounter with Christ. So um, he's gone. He's ascended to heaven. But if they could speak to Mary, what would they say to her? This is how your son changed my life. Mm. So, but I'll, I won't give that away. Yes, yeah. <laughs> then the fourth section is Holy Week, which was, it was hard to, mm -hmm. to write because I was trying to imagine her. I and mean, it, it, it caused me to admire her because obviously you can imagine her first instinct was to protect him, to, to reach to him, to try to save him. But she stood there understanding this was God's will. So the strength she must have had as a woman, which again, women are amazing. Because how many times do mothers have to stand, sit there and, and like I have a, a fellow parishioner who, God bless her, 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 she went to her home state to find her daughter. Somehow she found out she was homeless. Mm. And her daughter, she had gotten into drug addiction and she said she had to sit there one day for six hours at her dining room table and let her daughter tell her what she'd been through. And it just killed her. But she said, I, I sat there and even if we wept, it was just, I, I had to be strong for her. And I was like, wow, you know, just again, mothers are so amazing. So what she would have endured to see that, but of course also her faith, her awareness of who he was, how she would feel when she'd see him risen. And then the last part would be, I kind of had some fun with it where John did see her coronation mm -hmm. and he realizes her work's not done. And he kind of gets a little glimpse of, but he doesn't understand it, of the apparitions. So I, I just, I let my heart go. And, and I think my mom liked it. So that was important because my mom, her devotion to Mary's off the charts. And it's just, if my mom wouldn't have liked it or she would have said, this sounds like heresy, I would have been crushed. Yeah, yeah. But I think the best compliment I, I had was in Scottsdale a couple years ago, Arizona. A, a woman, God bless her, she bought, it, the, bought the book and it's a three-day conference. So she was staying there and the second day she comes to see me she goes how did you know and i was like what do you mean how did you know she goes this is i started your book last night she goes this is how a mother would feel and i'm like thank you i, I was surprised because i was kind of expecting her okay let me kind of help you understand this is so i was i was very moved by that so mm. that, I, thank I, you. I, I thank you jesus you know thank you thank jesus. you mary for giving yes. that you know now I have to say, I'm going to pick up the book here and just show all of you. I have this book. I'm so blessed that I have it. And um, tell us as we end this interview yes. where they can purchase the book. It is on Amazon. Okay. And um, well, HCD Talks, our, our website's hcdtalks.com. But 
We have a little, you know, they might see my shirt, it says Sun Mirror Productions. Mm -hmm. And it's our little offshoot where we sell my books. I have a few books, um, some music I've written as well. But, but my partner, she makes these gorgeous rosaries. And, and and they're just amazing. So it's also on that website, but you can easily find it on Amazon. And, and okay. it's there and it's under our brand. And it you know it's Kindle or they can order a hard copy and it, it'll arrive soon. Awesome. So before we end, do you have any final words for our audience? I Well, thank you for listening and for hopefully I, I had something good to share. And uh, obviously Bill and Anne are doing some amazing work. And I know Angelica and I are very privileged to know both of you. Yes. We had a great time last time. We did a lot of laughing, just a lot of sharing, and they're doing some great work, so please keep supporting their ministry, and I hope to you know, have a chance to speak to you all again soon. God bless. God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today, many students go to college with numerous questions about their faith, yearning to know if the seed planted in them as a child is both true and practical. Using the miracle on the road to Emmaus as a model, young adult ministers conversed weekly for three months with college students about the most pressing questions they had about the Catholic faith. As they journeyed together virtually, something amazing happened. Doubts disappeared, fears faded, and Jesus revealed that he is still alive. Hearts Burning Within Us, the latest book from Patchwork Heart Ministry, is a result of that grace-infused conversation. It is the perfect back-to-school gift for recent high school graduates and current college students. Get your copy for them today at patchworkheart.org or by calling 424-704-3278. That's 424-704-3278. Hello and welcome back to the Sewing Hope Podcast. It's Anne DeSantis here, and I am at the Catholic Marketing Network Conference with my good friend here, our guest, Angelica Dallalana. Thank you so much for joining Thank us again on Sewing Hope. It's, I love, I absolutely loved every show that we've done, so. I'm really happy to be here, so thank you. Thank you, and I'm also happy because she's a friend too, and it, it makes a big difference when in ministry you can make good friends like Absolutely. you and also like Carlos, your partner, who you work with, with HCD Talks. He was also a guest and told all of you about the ministry that they do online at hcdtalks.com. This is a little bit of a shorter show this time around, and I would love it if you could tell our audience about an idea that you have for ministry with women. Absolutely. So we are HCD Talks. Um, he takes the theological approach, but I am a nurse by trade. Um, and one thing that really gets to me is women's health, and not just women's health physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I think we need to address these things from a theological perspective, but also from um, knowing ourselves perspective. We are all God's creation, right? Um, we were all made in, in His image, and I think that um, women, especially nowadays, have this such a superficial uh, view of themselves and who they should be and how they should be and how they should look and feel um, without actually looking at who they actually are. And so I really, um, you and I were talking this week and we would love to do more with women's ministry and one of the approaches is that we are going to have a women's panel we're going to combine forces, HCD Talks, um, our podcast, which is Anchored in Faith, with 
sewing mm -hmm. home um, and um, patchwork heart and all that and so really talking to having a panel and a discussion mm -hmm. of women strong Catholic women who we've all had our own journeys we've all had our own journeys of insecurities weakness um, we've all had a roller coaster with our faith we've all had our own faith journey and I think that it's really important to address the issues as um, we'll have single women on the panel married women some of us have kids some of us may not have kids but I think it's really good to approach it from all different types of um, backgrounds and so and you know because we we should love ourselves as women um, and so you know we're the beauty in God's creation right and so I think that we need to see ourselves as that beautiful and one another as that beautiful um, you and I were talking this week about the competitive nature mm. of women um, and you know and it's so ingrained in us in society I think to be that competitive with one another so I think it would be a very good thing to address how do I see other women not as competition but as a sister in faith as a sister person, as a sister human being, um, rather than this, I need a one-up this girl, or checking social media, why is she prettier than me? Why is she more successful than me? No, we all have different gifts, and we all need to find our own gifts, our own beauty within ourselves in order to be able to evangelize the love of God. Mm, beautiful, and I myself am looking forward to working with you on that because I just it is a needed thing it really is it's Absolutely. needed and I think especially younger women as well now not just younger women though women of all ages but I think younger women too that um, the social media aspect is something to really delve into and say why do we need to do this why do we need to uh, present ourselves in this way which mm -hmm. is really just not proper it's so not just not proper but it actually in a way degrades us degrading. as women it completely degrades us as women and I think it um, you know uh, we we are actually losing sight of what it really means to be a woman um, That's right. and be that woman that God created so I think we I am very much looking forward to our women's ministry coming up all of us combining forces because we are all partners in our evangelization of the love of God. That's right. Now we only have a couple minutes left. Can you, do you have any final words before we end? You know, um, I think definitely pray. Pray for those of you who are struggling with anything, not just women, everybody. Um, if you are struggling with your own image, your own insecurities, know that you are loved, that you have a gift, find your gift, and pray on it every single day. And listen, not just Pray, not just ask, but actually stop and listen. Because honestly, I have found that God talks to you in so many different ways. Amen. So, yes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for being a friend. And we'll see you next time on the Sewing Hope Podcast. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or AndySantis2.